Listener Production. Hello and welcome to The Briefing. Katrina Blowers here. So China has been the most populous nation on the planet since at least 1950, or at least when we started taking proper records. But recently, India began taking over. It's not entirely surprising that it happened because China's birth rate has been on the decline for several decades, but it is shaking up the world order. India is on its way. But uh, everything, as we know, in India moves slowly. Mm. Uh, It's not like China, where you have got one-party rule, leadership and top-down administration. India is a democracy. Uh, India is very different. Antoinette Latouf is going to look into the massive opportunities, but arguably even bigger challenges for India and how Australia is going to play a crucial role. So that is our briefing topic for today. But first, the wonderful Jan Fran is joining me for a look at today's headlines. It is Tuesday, the 23rd of May. G'day, Kat. Yeah, speaking of uh, India being huge and Australia playing a very key role in its rise, this here... ...is the sound of Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi being greeted after he touched down in Sydney. You could probably hear there the crowds chanting, Modi, Modi, Modi. A crowd of more than 20,000 is expected to greet him in a packed-out stadium today as well. Now, he's made the trip over to Australia despite the fact that the Quad Leaders Summit, that's the meeting that uh, Anthony Albanese was supposed to have with Joe Biden, Japan's PM and, of course, Narendra Modi, was cancelled. Mr Modi decided to still come to Australia because uh, we are currently working through details of a major free trade agreement with India. Yeah, gosh, stadium tours, there's even a charter plane and an overnight bus dubbed the Modi Airways and Modi Express. They've been organised for Indian Australians coming as far from Brisbane and Melbourne to travel to the event at Sydney's Arena. Uh, It's going to include three hours of performances. This is a bit of a rock star welcome in Australia. Well, yeah, I mean, the Indian diaspora, that's uh, people who leave India and live and work in other countries. The Australian Indian diaspora is one of the biggest in the world. So we've got about 700,000 residents who are actually born in India. That's not counting the um, Indian Australians who were born here but have Indian heritage as well. So there's a very big community in the country. But Modi is quite a divisive figure. He's very powerful, but he's very divisive. He's been accused of intimidating political opponents. He's passed bills that critics say discriminate against Muslims, and there's a very large Muslim population in India. So I don't think he's going to be getting that rock star welcome from every Indian Australian. Well, despite President Biden not being able to be there, US Secretary of State Antony Blinken has made a deal with Papua New Guinea. We are deeply invested in the Indo-Pacific because our planet's future is being written here. And Papua New Guinea is playing a critical role in shaping that future. US military presence there is set to be ramped up under a new security pact. This deal has been struck at a meeting in Port Moresby involving 14 Pacific Island leaders. The details of this are yet to be made public, Jan, but some details have already been leaked and it is causing controversy in PNG. Yeah, there has been um, a, a leak of the draft agreement. 
and some of the bits that are causing the controversy are suggestions that the US is seeking access to PNG's military facilities, so what that will look like exactly, and also the possibility of US personnel uh, being subject to US military courts rather than PNG's justice system. Um, the government there says this is all a work in progress, that, you know, nothing's been finalised, but university students have protested. And there's also been politicians that have said, you know, this undermines our relationship with China. There's a real jostle for power in the Pacific now between Washington and China. And just to give you a, um, a bit of a highlight of that, Joe Biden would have actually been the first US president to visit PNG had he gone. Mm. So it really, it shows you just how important the region is at the moment. Veteran Indigenous journalist and Q&A host Stan Grant has hosted his final episode of Q&A. I'm not walking away for a while because of racism. We get that far too often. I'm not walking away because of social media hatred. I need a break from the media. I feel like I'm part of the problem. And I need to ask myself how or if we can do it better. An emotional and and thoughtful Stan Grant there, who last week announced he would step away from media commitments in part due to the racial abuse he's copped after featuring in coverage of the King's coronation. But really, uh, he said, Jan, that it was because not one of his ABC colleagues or anyone in the ABC executive team stood by him and defended him. Yeah, that's right. And we've seen in recent days his colleagues, David Anderson, um, who is the managing director, and also Justin Stevens, who's the head of news, come out and publicly support Stan. In fact, Justin Stevens um, gave interviews last night where he stated his support, but he said that he regretted not standing up for Stan Grant earlier. I think one of the things that he said was that journalists should never really be part of the story. And that's true. Anyone who's a journalist knows that mantra well. You should never be the story. Um, mm. But in this case, I think Justin Stevens was saying that the ABC really does need to work out how to better support its journalists when they come under attack, be that from certain sections of the media or from social media as well. And 50% of casual workers say they are worse off than what they were 12 months ago. So this info is according to new data that's come out from the Australian Council of Social Services. The council's also found that the hourly pay gap between casuals and permanent workers is the highest on record. So they earn $11.59 less an hour. Um, This is despite being entitled to extra loading of 25%. Yeah, I, I guess what's really troubling here is it, it disproportionately affects women and young people. So I guess, you know, the most vulnerable people in our community. And whenever there's tough times in big business, casuals are the first people to be shown the door. And unions are saying that it was all due to industrial relations changes that were brought in by the Morrison government back in 2021. Those changes created loopholes, which allowed companies to casualize what used to be full time permanent positions. So yeah, they're, they're now only casual jobs and uh, as well as getting less pay per hour, you're, you're not entitled to things like sick leave or super. So it's not a great outcome for many workers. Mm, no surprise that the ACTU is also calling for those industrial laws to be scrapped so that basically those loopholes can close. And New Zealand has lost to Australia in a trademark battle over the world's most expensive honey. This is a legal battle over Manuka honey, and it's been going on for more than a decade. It's kind of important because this honey sells for 
five grand a jar at some luxury stores. I don't know whether it can be as good as that. Maybe it is. Who knows? Uh, the issue is New Zealanders say manuka is a Maori word and only they should be able to use it. But the court has ruled that the word is descriptive and the plant can be found natively growing here in Australia as well. Here it's known as tea tree. So Jan, Aussie beekeepers are pretty happy about that and say they're going to grow the export market even further now. Yeah, I'm not surprised because tea tree honey doesn't quite have the same ring to it as manuka honey, does it? If someone was selling you tea tree honey, be like, no, thanks. I'm holding out for the good stuff. Oh, manuka. (laughs) Yes, please. (laughs) Manuka honey is great, by the way. I I eat manuka. I had no idea that it was a a Maori word. I, I, I don't know. I'd be a little bit pissed off if that word was being used willy nilly as well. And now I guess the courts come down finding not in that favour. All right. Thank you, Jan. Fran, Antoinette's about to jump in and tell us all about this new world order with India at the top. So India has overtaken China and is now the most populous country in the world. And bear with me as I attempt to read out this number. There are now 1,425,775,850 Indians. And India is now home to nearly a fifth of humanity. But here's a pretty wild fact. It only has roughly 2.5% of the world's land mass. India's population is also relatively young and it's growing, while China is ageing and shrinking. So what does this mean, not only for the country, but also for the world? Let's take a deeper dive into the demographic dynamics of India with Emeritus Professor of Asian Studies at the University of Adelaide, Panandra Jan. Panandra, thanks for your time. So this is the most significant shift in global demographics um, since records began, actually. And India's population is not only very, very large, it's also very young. How did we get here? Well, we got here through population growth in India. Um, As you mentioned, this is kind of historic shift uh, from China to India. China was the most populous uh, country for a long time. And according to UN statistics, now India will overtake China soon. And that soon is maybe in July. Uh, We don't know exactly because the statistics are based on UN agency, one of UN agencies surveys, because Indian uh, government hasn't conducted any census Mm. since 2010. Uh, So the data which we will see um, is coming from the United Nations. But there is a lot of talk as though it's already happened, that the population surpassing is is already there. Yeah, I mean, lots of demographers have Mm. been talking about it uh, for the last two years that uh, India might have overtaken China because we didn't have, India did not have any census, mm. uh, but the UN uh, data confirms it that yes, India has overtaken China in terms of the most populous country in mm. the world. And as you mentioned, this shift has happened um, at the same time as China's declining population. Um, I'm keen for you to explain some of the factors that led to that decline because they weren't accidental. We all know that uh, China had a very deliberate policy since 1979 mm. 
what they call one-child policy. Uh, that is, a couple will not be allowed to have more than one child, uh, with some exceptions. And that created a situation in China where ultimately uh, the population began to decline. Now China's uh, population growth has declined because the fertility rate has gone much beyond the replacement rate. Uh, so at the moment, fertility rate in China is around 1.5 percent. Mm. And that's why we are seeing this decline in China's population. On the other hand, in India, uh, the growth rate has been quite consistent uh, for the last 10, uh, 15 years. It's not like 5.5 percent, which used to be the case in the 1950s. But India is still uh, having population growth over replacement rate around 2.5 percent. And that's one of the reasons that, uh, you know, India has uh, gone ahead of China in this particular area. I guess a lot of people will be wondering, okay, so India is the most populous country on the planet. Um, What does it mean? Does it change anything? Well, it changes something, but not everything. Mm. Um, I mean, in itself, in every statistics now, we will uh, say that India is the most populous nation uh, and China is no longer the most populous nation. So that's one thing. I mean, the Indian Prime Minister, uh, Mr. Modi, Mm. has talked about what he said, democracy, demography and development, that these are the three key characteristics of India. Half of India's population is very young, which you said in your introduction. Yes. So half of India's population is very young. They are productive. And demography dividend simply means that you have got more people in employment or the prospect of more people in employment than people who have to look after, that is the elderly and children. And that is what is known as demographic dividend. But how India is going to utilize this demographic dividend is a million-dollar question. And so if policymakers and the government get things right for India, what's the potential in terms of driving innovation, producing more goods and services for the world? Well, India is on its way, but everything, as we know, in India moves slowly. Mm. Uh, It's not like China, where you have got one-party rule, leadership and top-down administration. India is a democracy uh, India is very different. So that keeps India a little bit, uh, you know, in a situation where it cannot have the same kind of, uh, you know, growth as we saw in China. But the Indian government and generally speaking, policymakers are very much uh, on track for their objectives to make India a developed country in the next 30 to 40, 50 years. And we have seen some signs, you know, the growth in India is is quite remarkable. Uh, Even um, during the uh, pandemic, uh, you know, India's economy grew and it is growing now more. But if you see the actual condition in India, you know, one could doubt, you know, how India is going to do it in the next 10, 15, 20 years. Uh, So there is a long way ahead for India. Um, It's not very simple. It's not very easy. What does number one mean for India politically? Like aside from the bragging rights, do you think it will help bolster its claim for a permanent seat in the UN Security Council? Well, it's interesting you have raised this question because I was reading one of the comments by India's external affairs minister, which is foreign minister in India, Dr. Jashankar. 
you know, he said that uh, it's, it's a statistic, but it has got some significance. And what significance he mentioned is that if the United Nations ignores a country which is the most populous country in the world with one-sixth of population on this mm. planet, and if you don't get a seat, that tells a lot about the United Nations as an organization. Mm. Uh, so obviously, India is very much uh, interested in getting a seat on the United Nations Security Council as a permanent member. Having said that, that's not easy because we know how the United Nations Security Council works. Each of the five members has to say yes for a new member to come in. And given the relationship between India and China politically mm. and geopolitically, uh, border clashes and dispute, it is very unlikely that China will say yes to India if there is any reform for the Security Council, then there are other contestants. And it's interesting that you raised China um, and some of those tensions. I think what a lot of people would be wondering is what India's military might is and not having like two very, very large um, nations in one region might mean. Does this make war and conflict more likely? Well, uh, let me just uh, give you some background on this. You know, like India's economy is one-fifth of China's economy. Mm. So it also translates into one-fifth of the GDP per capita. So Chinese are five times uh, more prosperous than Indians are. And China's military is far more superior than India's. But India is in a good situation because of the geostrategic tensions where we are saying U.S. and European nations, including Australia, having a second thought about China, that gives India an opportunity to encash because if these countries are like pushing back China, they need another country mm. uh, which can balance uh, China. And, you know, clearly India is that option. And that's why many of these countries, including the U.S., is putting a lot of capital on India. So that's the situation right now. So geostrategically and geopolitically, India has got an advantage because of its uh, democracy, uh, because, you know, countries are now characterizing other nations as democracy or authoritarian. And there, India has got an advantage. Another big concern is the environment. Like, can India cope when it comes to climate change? Like, because the country ranked last out of 180 in the Environmental Performance Index that was released by Yale University? I mean, that's a huge issue. Like the problems and challenges are enormous. So mm. how to deal with growth at the same time, make sure that you don't pollute the environment is a huge challenge for India. I mean, they are aware about it, but the policy which they have got in place is not enough. So they have to think a little bit more as to how to go about it. Also, India has got an, an enormous challenge of poverty. Yes. Uh, it's, yeah, it's a big pocket uh, where you see poverty. Still, India's most of the population in India has got low-income group population, and the agriculture sector is still very high in terms of employment, although their productivity is very small. Uh, what we saw in China, you know, a population moving from the agriculture farm to city for manufacturing. But in India, manufacturing, the manufacturing sector is still very, very small. 
unemployment in India is, is extremely high, especially among the youth. And we've seen Australia strengthen its relationship with India. Do you think anything changes with the, the current growth in India or it's kind of you know, business as usual? No, it, it won't be business as usual. Actually, India-Australia relations have strengthened and is on the trajectory of becoming stronger. Uh, and education is one sector I mentioned where Australia will can and will play a, a major role. I would like to see more vocational training for Indians in India offered by Australian institutions. I think that will happen. And with that, I think we are preparing uh, the Indian population for more productivity, better work environment, better wages, mm. uh, you know, children's um, health, uh, women's health, women participation in labor is so small in India, one third of China almost. So all these things needs to be really uh, looked at. Uh, these are challenging uh, issues and there are no easy way out from these challenges. That was Pranandra Jan, Emeritus Professor in Asian Studies at the University of Adelaide. So I think the main takeaway from all of that is that at the moment, the population top spot doesn't change a great deal, well, not just yet. And such a huge population can really become a bit of a demographic liability um, if the growing number of young people in India are not educated and trained and employed and as we just heard, Australia will be playing an important role here. And India's probably going to need a lot of international pressure, but also support to try and minimise um, its environmental impact. Listener.